glad to be back. It seems like this has become a yearly habit for me. You know, uh, something we just had a, I just had a three-month furlough, and it's my first furlough in 34 years of being in ministry. And I've been a pastor for 34 years, and we have uh, started international ministry more than 12 years ago. And so after all this time last year in the Empowered 21 in Jakarta, Cindy Jacobs prophesied to me, and he says, Jerome, you need to, you, God wants you to take a three-month sabbatical or furlough. And my reaction was, oh, no, because I couldn't find three months block of time that I could take without any ministry. So it take, took a couple of months since July last year until, you know, with all the meetings and all the preparations. So finally, I took a furlough last May and ends up in the first week of August. In fact, this weekend is the first official ministry that I would ever have to make. So it's with you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Even my church, I haven't preached in my church for a couple of months, uh, and uh, they've been asking, oh, pastor, you're finished your furlough. You're leaving again? Yeah, I'm sorry. I have this commitment. been a year ago, so I couldn't uh, get away from it. But I want to share with you is something that I learned in this furlough, that there comes a time in your life, I don't know if you ever felt this, that you, were, you feel like you're running on empty. Have you ever driven a car that's on empty, the gas is on empty? And that's sometimes, you know, that's a very usual habit in the Philippines. You know, you wait until you're almost gone with gas before you go to the gas station. You know, it's like, uh, I remember, I just thought of my mind, you know, so it's like using your, your toothpaste. You know, you squeeze it until the last minute. And if still, you know, you finish it up, squeeze it all, it's all flat. You can still cut it and you can still bring some more <laughs> out of it. So always until it's empty. But this is like, in my experience, when you feel like as if your energy has gone out, emotional, spiritual energy, and you don't have anything to move, out, move further, you know, and you're running on empty. And uh, I don't know if you ever experienced that, like if you ever, uh, you know, uh, tried to do, uh, go to the gym, like me, I go to the gym once a year. <laughs> You'd, and the worst exercise you can make in a gym is the treadmill. It's the most boring exercise because you keep on running and never getting anywhere and just you stare at nothing in front of you. And, but you have to do it. Now, sometimes life can be like that. From Monday to Friday, you work you know, and you get exhausted, and then it repeats again the following week, week after week, month after month, year after year. And pretty soon, if you don't recharge, you'll run on empty. Now, let me share with you what the Lord taught me. This is the first miracle of Jesus. It's found in John chapter 2, and we're going to read it all the way to chapter 11. And let me read it to you this, this afternoon. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And they wanted wine, and the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with you? Mine hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatsoever he says to you, do it. And there were, six, uh, there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. 
And they filled him up to the brim, and he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it come, it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning that set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. <clears throat> this is the beginning of miracles that Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. This is a message about you and me. This is a message that when you feel like your life has been running on empty, you know, or sometimes you feel you're in a competition and you need to keep on going, keep on going and keep on going and you don't have any margins in your life. Your marriage gets strained, relationships get strained day after day, and the pressures and the stress of work feels you, leaves you feeling drained. Anyone feeling that? You know, they, No one is immune to this. I can imagine here in Singapore, it's probably even worse. But even pastors, you know, I've been to America recently, and there are many, many reports not just a couple, but many reports of pastors even committing suicide. And that's why they are required now, many churches, big churches in America, required to take a furlough and take a break because of this. You know, let me talk about the miracle. You see, in the Gospel of John, now John is a, it's an amazing uh, gospel writer. Compared to all the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is the real soft-hearted gospel writer, you know, and uh, if you talk about Mark, the gospel of Mark, it's like I call that, if you compare it to a movie, Mark is like an action film, you know, blow by blow, you know, it's like if you watch an action film, if there's no explosion in the first five minutes, it's a boring action film, right? And that's Mark, gospel of Mark, it's the shortest of all the gospels, and it went straight, it didn't even mention the Christmas story, went straight to the miracles, now, Matthew is ethnic because it talks about Jews and the specific uh, ethnic uh, uh, reasons for Jesus to coming into the Jews. So it's for the Jews. Now, uh, Luke is like a documentary. Documentary where you have all the details and you get all the specifics, you know, watching like a history channel or National Geographic. But the Gospel of John is different. I would call it, it's the gospel that has love, you know, and all these emotions. You know, we, do, we would call it like a girl movie. And here, the gospel of John talks about miracles, and he calls them signs. Now, there are seven signs or seven miracles in the gospel of John. John, you know, of course, turning water into wine, making the lame man walk, the, uh, the blind see, and the dead resurrected from, from, from the dead. Those are all wonderful miracles. If you get healed, that's wonderful. That's if you get raised from the dead, that is amazing. A manifestation of the power of God. But John calls them a signs. Now, it's amazing if you study the There's a lot of good numbers in the book of John. But number seven is very special. Seven miracles, which are seven signs. Seven wounds at the cross. And seven, uh, seven last words before he died. And so he mentions the seven miracles of Jesus. He calls them signs. Now, 
I don't know about you, but signs are important, right? We all know that signs are important. Men, have you entered the, to- the women's toilet by accident? I hope, I hope by accident. <laughs> but that's why signs are important. Okay, if you, can you imagine if there's no sign, you would enter the women's toilet, you get surprised you're inside the women's toilet, right? And that's why signs are important. I remember, uh, you know, when, when um, you, uh, we were driving in the United States, Las Vegas, I uh, talked to my friend. I said, I wanted to go to this electronic store, and he gives me direction, and I put it on the GPS, and my friend says it only takes 10 minutes to get there. So I keep on driving. After 15 minutes, I still don't see the store. Then comes 30 minutes, I still don't see the store. Then I look at the GPS, it says, 298 miles to the store. Apparently, it was a store, the same store, but in another state. That's why signs are important, right? Important because it tells you where to go. Now, let me give you a statement by Ern Baxter. This is very important, and I want you to uh, catch this. He says, the sign is not the thing. The sign is the thing that points to the thing. Did you get that? He said, the sign is not the thing, but it's the thing that points to the thing, right? So if you see a sign says 20 kilometers to Jakarta, do you stop by the roadside, say, oh, I love the sign, and then you kiss the sign and say, oh, I really love this sign. You don't do that, right? Because it's not the main thing. You drive past the sign, and you're glad you know it's your 20 miles or 20 kilometers away, Because that's the purpose of the sign. Now, John says every sign has a purpose. It's not the main thing. It points to something else. And I'm going to say to you, brothers, since every breakthrough in your life, every miracle in your life has a purpose. It's powerful. Great. God heals you. God delivers you. you He provides miracles. But that's not the main thing. Because if you stay just with the sign, then you're missing the point, right? And in the Bible, every time that Jesus performs a miracle, there's always a purpose. Every breakthrough. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Now, that's important because every miracle has a purpose, and it points to Jesus, number one. It points to Him, and it points to His glory. Two things. Sign is not the thing, but it's the thing that points to Jesus and His glory. It says in John chapter 1, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And the glory of, as that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's something about the glory of Jesus. You know, remember the story when Jesus and three of his disciples went up to the mountain. And all of a sudden, he had the transfiguration. Now, if you, if you listen to the words of that experience, it's like the flesh of the Lord started to glow. You know, something about his skin started to glow. I don't know if he used Korean cosmetics, whatever, but it started to glow. And when it was started to glow, the disciples, I could imagine Peter, James, and John, who was the only ones that were there, 
probably elbowing each other, saying, did you see that? Something about what happened to the face of the Lord. He started to, and they probably just wondered, did you see that? And that's the glory. You know, when somebody gets healed, like the lame walk and the blind see, I could imagine the disciples just watching. He said, did you see that? And they are experiencing and seeing the glory. Now, listen, every miracle points to Jesus and his glory. And so there's an even, even an amazing example in the Bible when uh, the soldiers, temple soldiers, went to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they were sent to arrest one man, but they brought 600 soldiers with them. Now, can you imagine this? 600 soldiers to arrest one man, Jesus. <clears throat> They're very scared of Jesus. So they approach Jesus, the head of the soldiers, says, uh, and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responded, you can read it in the Gospel of Luke, he responded with just simple statement. He says, it is I. In Greek, ego ini, that's what it says in Greek. But it translated in Hebrew, it means I am. Now, I am is Yahweh, the covenant name of God. When, as soon as Jesus said this, 600 soldiers fell backwards and got slain in the spirit. 600 soldiers. And that's a demonstration of the glory of God. Now listen. Signs are given so that you might see Jesus and his glory. Well, that's powerful. And I look at that and I said, Lord, I want to see that glimpse of that glory. And so this is the first miracle Jesus ever did. As according to the Gospel of John. Now, they, it happened in a wedding you know, they have a cultural practice in, in Israel that all virgins get married on a Wednesday. And all non-virgins get married on a Thursday. Now, people made the joke that in Hollywood, Thursday will be fully booked. <laughs> because no, there's no virgin. Anyway, so this is what happened. Inside the wedding, uh, the wine ran out. And there were probably approximately five to six disciples there. there. The 12 is not yet complete. Now listen, it says, the Bible says, this is the first miracle. So there were no other miracles before this. So if you ever go and see History, History Channel, it says there's a book that says when Jesus was a boy, you know, he spit on the dirt and made a clay and turned it into a bird and blew upon it and the bird started to fly. You know, like a super boy, super miracle boy. That's not true. How do I know? Well, the Bible says this was his first miracle. Not even Mary has ever experienced Jesus performing any miracle. This was the first miracle he ever did. And so when that happened in a wedding, you see, the wine is a symbol of joy coming to the, to the bride and the groom. And when the wine ran out, it's like saying that, oh, the joy is going to run out in this marriage. So it symbolized a lot of things, and therefore, it would not be just embarrassing. It would symbolize a negative thing for the future of the family. So G Mary told uh, Jesus, you know, the wine ran out. And, uh, and the reaction of Jesus is, you know, very unusual. Woman, why are you involving me in this? You know, I don't know about Singaporeans or Indonesians. But if you're a Filipino and you call your mother woman, your mom will slap you on the face. You know, why are you calling me woman? You know, 
that's disrespectful, right? But here, Jesus was trying to shift the roles. He's trying to imply to Mary, now it's a different role. I'm not anymore just your son. I'm going to be the son of, the world, of God, you know. And so when, when, uh, as soon as Jesus said this, Mary told the servants, go ahead and do whatever he wants you to do. And say, fill all the six water pots. And all of a sudden, when they served that, that water, it turned into wine. Now, that's amazing. Another important thing about this, you know, this, this point is every sign or every miracle in the Gospel of John is always followed by a sermon. He turned, you know, he multiplied the bread and he says, I'm the bread of life. He resurrected Lazarus from the dead. He says, I'm the li- resurrection and the life. Every miracle has a sermon attached to it except this one. There's no sermon turning water into wine, you know. Basically, I asked the Lord, Lord, why would you turn water into wine? Why don't you just go ahead and buy some more wine, right? There's something about this miracle that should speak to us today. And I think the Lord intentionally did not give a sermon because I believe the Lord didn't want us to limit the message that he was trying to give to all of us. You know, I, I sometimes feel that it is so important that we understand the purpose of this miracle. And it would speak to us definitely directed today. Now, it's also interesting to note that Jesus was invited to a wedding. You know, he's not a boring person. He's not a, you know, you would call in English killjoy. He doesn't know how to enjoy socialization. He was invited to a wedding. And his disciples were, you know. And so, can you imagine he was just a guest in the wedding, but ended up becoming the host? Because all wine's on me. I, you know, pay for all your drinks. (laughs) Can you imagine that? That's a change of role from that, from that certain miracle. And so, now, before I, I get into any trouble with Pastor Johan and the pastors of Bethany Church, I'm going to give you several reasons why, you know, you might say, well, Pastor Jerome is endorsing. We can all drink as many wine as we can and get drunk, etc. and so forth. So I'll give you a balance to that after I give you this first point. Give you three uh, sermons coming out of this miracle. Number one. Your life can run out, run empty without him. Wine of the world will run empty. No matter how much fun you have in the world, whether it's entertainment, whether it's relationship, whether it's career, whether it's money, it will always run empty. Because in economics, we call it the law of diminishing returns. And any economics you know, person here, it says in economics, if you enjoy one particular thing for the first time, you have a great high, you enjoy it. In the second time you want to enjoy the same thing, you need to assert double effort. Because every time you do it, the returns get lower and lower and lower. It's the law of diminishing returns. That's why when it comes to sin and enjoying sin, The best days of sin is always the early days. The best days of drug addiction are the early days. The best days of an affair is the early days. And the more you want to enjoy the same thing, you have to give double effort. If you have addiction, you take a drug, you get so high. The second time you want to get the same high, you have to double the dose. Why? Because the same dose 
will give a lesser enjoyment. It's a principle that's fact of life. Every time you want to enjoy the same thing, it will give you lesser and lesser returns. Eventually, that's how people get into addiction. That's people get into bad habit because they wanted to do the same thing. And so they make double, double effort or double dose. Now listen, <coughs> I found out that with God, the kingdom of God, it's totally the opposite. It's the law of increasing returns. Amen? When I say law of increasing returns, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Thank you, brother. And I have always enjoyed my, the Lord's presence and the things that I'm doing for God better and better and better. You go from glory to glory to glory, right? So what I mean is, I, I put it in English, being a Christian with Jesus, life gets gooder and gooder and gooder. Of course, there's no English and gooder, but it sounds better, you know. So in the kingdom of God, it's actually the opposite. It's not the law of diminishing returns. It's the law of increasing returns. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. When it says that the wine won't run out in a celebration of joy in a relationship it's like a wedding, it means to say with Jesus, your life will always get better. No matter what you go through in life, you feel that the world will run out of joy in your life, that things, the situation will get worse, not with the Lord. You know, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been a pastor for 34 years. And I can tell you, incredible things, it always get better. New things are happening. God is a creator. He always brings new things to you. So when Jesus turned water into wine, it's not just to say that, oh, wine is good, you know. And because not many times, sometimes wine is not necessarily good. But, you know, just so that you won't, you won't misinterpret me and uh, so that I won't get into trouble with Pastor Johan. You know, my, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, and therefore I determined to be not an alcoholic in my life. So I gave you four principles in making a decision. Should I drink wine or should I drink alcohol? Should I do this or whatever? It is actually can be applied to almost anything that you do. Four principles. Number one, principle of self-control. If you cannot control yourself, don't start it. It's a, you know, it's a principle of self-control. If you know you'll not be able to control yourself, then don't even begin. Number two, principle of bondage. Will it be a habit forming to you? And it's a habit forming to you and you will not be able to control it again? Don't start it. Number three, principle of edification. Will it build up or will it tear down other people's faith? And if it does, then don't do it. And number four, principle of example. Are you setting a good example or it's becoming a bad example? Now, if you follow those four principles, you'll be able to decide whether you ought to be involved in it or not. I guess it's not just wine. It can be smoking. It can be all kinds of things, right? Now, let me say, water was turned into wine. Now, what kind of a miracle is that? I asked myself, Lord, why don't you just go ahead and do something more spectacular? You know, what's so amazing about turning water into wine, you know? And also at this point, this was not a public miracle because not everybody in the, in the party or in the wedding knew that Jesus did the miracle. Who are the, who are the witnesses? It's only Jesus and Mary and the disciples 
and the servants. Not even the bride and the groom who's, you know, who's the, uh, the party is being done in honor of didn't even know what happened. So it was a private miracle specifically for his disciples. And so why turning water into wine? Number one, because the Lord is saying the wine of the world will run out, but the wine of the Lord will never run out. The second point is God can turn your life around in two seconds. I say two seconds because that's how probably long it took to turn water into wine. Now, I have a friend who lives in, a, in Germany, and he owns a vineyard in Germany. And he tells me, do you know that in order to produce really excellent wine, it takes 30 years? To really want good tasting wine, it takes 30 years to produce. And Jesus did it in two seconds. Wow, what does that mean? It means he can turn your life around in two seconds. When sometimes you think it's over, it's over, we have no more wine, we have no more joy, we have, no more, we have nothing left. This miracle gives you the assurance it isn't over yet. If you think your marriage is over, Jesus, Jesus is saying with this miracle, it's not over yet. You think your business is over, it's not over yet. You think relationship is over. It's not over yet because the doctor sends you a, a diagnosis that you're going to die, you're sick, it's over. Jesus is saying, I can turn your life around in two seconds. Just that turn water into wine. You know how difficult that miracle is? That miracle is a miracle from the molecular level. You cannot just turn water into wine. You have to change the molecules. You have to change from, from the very basic, you know. And so what is the Lord saying? If you are faced with a situation in your life that you think it's over, God is giving you the assurance it's not over yet because I can turn it around. Amen? Now, let me give an illustration. There's a painting in Germany in the 1800s. It's there on the picture. It's a painting called entitled Checkmate. And the one who painted this was depicting the devil playing chess with a young man. And the young man had bet his soul for riches and glory that he might be, he could beat the devil, right? So, but in this picture, he lost the chess, so he loses his soul. And the painting was, goes that <clears throat> it was checkmate. There's no more move. You know, and, and you know, you, if, you, if you're a chess player, you understand what that means. You have no more move, and you're, you're, you've, you've lost. So you can see the young man... You know, this is the 800s. That's why they dressed like that. The young man was kind of worried. Now I'm going to lose my soul. Now, there's an anecdote connected to this, to this painting, which happened in the 1800s. I don't know if the anecdote is real or not. But there's this expert chess player called, <coughs> excuse me, Paul Murphy. Now, Paul Murphy has been a genius in chess. And he looks at the painting and he says, it's not over. He looks at the painting and he says, there's still one more move. And that move will change the whole game. Excuse me. I need the water. It's not wine. It's water. <laughs> and then he says, <clears throat> I can turn it around with one move. So you know what they did? They replicated the painting on a chessboard. And he was surrounded by experts. And they, so they started to see if, if Paul Murphy can really, you know, uh, change the game. 
And true enough, <clears throat> in one move, Paul Murphy, as expert as he is, as a genius in chess he is, he was able to turn the game around in just one move. You know, he can turn it for the, uh, for the winning move of the, of the young boy. Now, I don't know if that story is real or not, but it's a powerful illustration of the power of God. You think it's over? How many of you know in one move, God can turn your life around? How many of you know maybe it's not even one move? In two seconds, he can actually turn your life around. Whether he, you know, if he can turn water into wine, he can heal you from your sickness. If he can turn water into wine, he can uh, pay all your debts. He can turn water into wine, he can change the situation in your relationships. It's an amazing display of what God can do. And with this miracle, he is assuring every one of us. It's not over yet. And I have one more move. And my move, God's move, is always the winning move. Amen? You see, one move of God in your life. And I'd probably even be one Sunday service. In one Sunday service, your life can turn around. In one time and encounter with God, everything will totally change. That's the purpose of the miracle of water into wine. The impossible things that has caused to drain your life from energy and emotional energy in your life, God can turn it around. And if you, if whether it's business, whether it's marriage, whether it's relationship, God is saying it's not over yet. Let me say this to you, brothers. Some of you came to church this morning, this afternoon, just to hear that statement, it's not over yet. God can change your life around, you know. There's no sin he can't forgive. There's no problem he cannot solve. That's why it's important you make the choice and God makes the change. Trust him that his last move is always the winning move. Brings me to the third and last point. So first, it's the law of increasing returns. You're, when you're with Jesus, your life gets gooder, gets better from glory to glory. And you never lose that joy. The second message is, when you feel you're, you're facing a dead end, oh, it's over. My kids, they are all rebellious. They're going to run away. No, I couldn't solve it. The Lord is saying, it's not over. Oh, my marriage, it's hopeless. It's not hopeless. God is saying, in two seconds, I can turn it around. And brings me to the third and last point. Every time when you're faced with an impossible situation, and it seems that it's over, he is about to show you a wonder. That's why it's called Signs and Wonders. Now, what is so special about water into wine? I mean, I can understand healing the lame, healing the blind, resurrecting the dead, but turning water into wine. What's so amazing about that? What's just so significant about it? Now, let me tell you, God is displaying who he is. He is a God of wonders. You know, in the Bible, it's very, very clear. And you make a research on your own. He calls himself as a God of wonders. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who only works wonders. Psalm 7, 7, verse 14. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. Psalms 136, verse 4. To him alone does great wonders. For loving kindness is everlasting. And finally, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, 
to him is able to do immeasurably more that you can ask or imagine. Now, if you can imagine it, God can do greater than your imagination. That's the God of wonders, you know. And so when you're faced with an empty wine, when you're faced with an empty joy, please, brothers and sisters, get ready. You're about to face a wonder. Amen. I wonder why in the Old Testament God would stop the rotation of the earth so to keep the sun standing still so that his servant can win the fight longer in the battlefield. That's a wonder. How would God turn something that is pure metal float from water? That's a wonder. How can God turn bitter waters into sweet in the Old Testament? That's a wonder. And when God performs a wonder, it's always because you're faced with a situation that's impossible. God of wonders. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. I honestly think we are entering not just into a season of miracles. We're entering into a season of wonders. Amen? This time, he's not just going to display miracles. He will display wonders. He will captivate the imagination of this young generation by doing wonders. And so when that happens, you wonder, oh, Lord, what are you doing? You know, and uh, that's an amazing, amazing miracle. I said to myself, Lord, can you do another amazing wonder greater than turning water into wine? I believe you can. And I believe this is a season to expect it. Amen? Let me tell you one final story before we pray. There's the very first billionaire in America. And I have a picture there uh, at the end of the John D. Rockefeller. We get the Rockefeller Foundation if you go to New York. But at the age of 23, he becomes the first millionaire in America. At the age of 50, he becomes the first billionaire in the United States. I mean, he becomes the first billionaire in the world. Now, John D. Rockefeller did everything he can. All the decisions he made, all the strategy he made is to acquire wealth. Then at the age of 50, when he became a billionaire, he was diagnosed with a severe, uh, sorry, three years later at the age of 53, after becoming a billionaire, he was diagnosed with a rare disease. And the doctors, all the physicians, all the experts came to him and told him the same thing. Uh, you, you're going to die in one year. Because he was so sick, he lost all his hair. He couldn't sleep at night. And his body cannot tolerate any kind of food. Only he ate fish, uh, crackers and milk. Now think about it. You can buy anything in the world because you're a billionaire. But you can only eat crackers and milk. That's torture, right? Now, John D. Rockefeller, they said at night he was in agony. He was in pain every night during this time. And the doctor says at 53, oh, you only have one year to live. Until God suddenly spoke to John D. Rockefeller. And God wanted him to change his life. So you know what he did? He called all his accountants and all his finance managers. So I want to give my money away. But I don't just want to give it away. I want to give it to churches. I want to give it to missions. And I want to give it to hospitals. So he made a strategic move to change everything. And he called all his accountants and finance managers to start giving money away. So he actually uh, 
started the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation discovered penicillin, which penicillin became a source of healing for many of malaria, tuberculosis, all kinds of diseases, saved millions of people all over the world. John D. Rockefeller. But you know, as he gave his money away, he continued to live longer. And the more he gave, and the longer he lived. And he says, no, it's like, I think I'm going to die, but the more he gave, the longer he lived. Doctor says he will die at the age of 54. Do you know how old John D. Rockefeller died? He died at the age of 98. Now, that's a wonder, right? That's a wonder. Could we give the Lord a clap offer? That is a wonder. You see, brothers and sisters, God always has the winning move. And you might say, or the doctor might say, it's gone, it's, it's ended, it's not over yet. God has something better. And all we need to do is to get our joy in the Lord. Look at Jesus and his glory. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this. If God can do that to John D. Rockefeller, he can do that to you. And if he can do that, he can turn water into wine. What is your issue that he cannot solve? See, that's the power of wonders of God. That's a statement for you and me. You might think that your life is over, your relationship is over, thinks your life is over, but it is not true. Jesus says, if you look at his glory and you look at him, you will have unlimited joy over increasing satisfaction and fulfillment in your life that you'll never find in career, never find in business, never find in money, never find in entertainment, only in Jesus. Amen? And if the world says it's over, don't believe them because Jesus says it's not over yet. And he gives you that assurance. Amen? So I believe we are in this time of our Christian life and all over the world, God is entering us into a season of wonder. And if you ever faced in your life a dead end, you're running empty, I have good news for you. You're about to see a wonder. And if you believe that, this can actually turn your life around. Amen? So we're going to pray. And let me release that season of wonder in your life right now. And just bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's bring it before the Lord right now. And I don't know what you're going through. But I've been a pastor for many years, and I know exactly that many times this is not just about ordinary people. This is all about us. This is all about what we go through. I want to pray for a season of God's wonders to come into your life. All you need to do is open it up to the Lord. reason why this is the first miracle he knows that when he starts doing miracles and ministry, he can run out on empty. He knows his disciples can get tired. But he was saying from the very beginning, if you look to me, you will never run out of wine or joy or significance or fulfillment in your life. Amen. So let's pray. If you're that person says, uh, Pastor Jerome, I think the message is for me. I feel like it's, I'm on a dead end. I want to get off the treadmill. I, wanna, I just couldn't do it. Just 
routine over and over and over again. And the stress, the frequency, the mundane, the usual things, it's just killing me. And I don't know how to get off. And Lord is saying to you this afternoon, draw wine from me. And I will turn everything around. Turn everything around. Your marriage, your job, your career, your business. Yeah, I will turn it around. If I can turn water into wine, I can do that to you. Now, don't focus on the miracle. Focus on Jesus and his glory. And it will be different. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I pray for each and every one that's here. And I know that I went through this myself. I know that I start to ignore what is happening and pretend it's not happening, but it's really there. You're, I am running on empty and I feel like I don't have any more choice but to keep on going. But then you come and stop me and says, it's time to turn it over to you. And when I did it, things started to change. Life is totally different. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I'm going to ask you, everybody, eyes are closed and their heads are bowed. And I don't want to put anybody on spot. I'll not call you in front. I'll not ask you to stand up. But I will ask you, how many would you say, I need prayer, Pastor Joe. I need to see the God of wonders. Raise your hand. I need to see the God of wonders. I need to encounter a wonder at this time of my life. Whatever issue it is, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. The Lord can see those hands. It's just recognizing and acknowledge, God, I need you right now to turn water into wine in my life. Just raise your hands to the Lord. Let him see it. As you acknowledge it before him, Lord, I will, I will lift it up to you. The Lord can see those hands, brothers and sisters. I tell me, tell you, he can see those hands. He can see through every one of you right now. So let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would do a wonder in our lives. And I release in the name of Jesus... A season of wonders in every person's life, in every family. And for those who raise their hands, I pray in the name of Jesus. You come, even now in the name of Jesus, to come and do that same miracle. The impact will be the same. It restores the joy, restores the energy, restores the purpose and significance. And life tomorrow, we go to work, will be totally different because you did something today. Father, come, display your wonder. Display your wonder in our job, in our marriage, in our career, in our personal life, right now, in the name of Jesus. We release that season of wonders in our midst, Lord, and I pray that at the very end, we will realize and see your glory happening in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We lift this up in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Could we give the Lord a clap offering? Amen.